2: There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen, so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander.
3: Welcome to a brand-new podcast. This is one I cannot tell you how excited I am to be a part of. I'm Bob Weschusen the Jets radio voice, also an ESPN college football voice for a long, long time, and uh, I am a tape junkie. We call this podcast Tape Heads, and the reason we call it that is we have two of the preeminent experts in all of football to break down tape and talk NFL, um, and we're going to tackle each and every game in the league, the big topics, we, but we're going to crawl behind the X's and O's. We're going to crawl inside the tape room with Dan Orlovsky, who you see on ESPN as probably the preeminent tape breakdown guy that we have right now on NFL. And uh, Scott Pioli, who spent probably the first 10 years of his real NFL executive bio ruining my life and building the New England Patriots and uh, making me miserable for a a good decade or so. This is, guys, the podcast just to let people know what we're all about at the start. To me, this is the podcast where if you're at the bar with your buddies— And somebody says, did you see Bill Steelers yesterday? Could you believe that? You are now, if you listen to this podcast, the guy that can turn to your buddies and be like, yeah, I mean, they didn't blitz once the entire day. They played two high five underneath and it confused Josh Allen all day. And that was really the key to the game. And your buddies are going to look at you like where, like, how could you possibly know that? Well, you know it because you listen to you guys. And I listen to you guys, and uh, I cannot wait to get started. So thanks a million for doing this with me, because this could be great Brother, football.
4: Brother, we're excited. It's going to be an absolute blast, man.
5: Really excited. And, and yeah, and, and hopefully we'll also be able to give some personnel insight into those X's and O's as well, Bob. Yeah, there's no question. Hey, let's start off
3: probably the premier game of the day yesterday, and it lived up to the hype. And that's Chiefs-Browns. Uh, this to me is a game... Where, if you're the Browns sitting on the bus, or you're flying back to Cleveland after it's over, everyone is looking at each other, going, "How did we lose that game? How is it possible that we put up 460 yards of offense? We had a two-score lead. We had Arrowhead as quiet as it could possibly be, and yet somehow we're sitting here 0 1, and they're going home 1 and 0." So, Dan, let's start just schematically with how the game changed, you think, in the second half, the biggest things when you're crawling beneath the surface as to why you think that game went sideways for Cleveland, especially in the fourth quarter.
4: Yeah, Well, I think a big part of that game getting flipped is really the back end of the first half. You know, the the Browns are backed up and they've got a second and six and Baker throws an absolute incredible scene ball to Njoku down to about the 35 yard line of the Chiefs with like 40 seconds left in the first half. So you're up 2210. You think you're in fantastic situation at least. Worst case, go get three points. Their next two plays, they take two shots, which I don't mind in that situation. You're trying to go score touchdowns to beat the Chiefs. And on third down, they get a holding penalty. Backs them up. Now you're in fringe field goal range. The the, the penalty gets played again for the down, and then Baker takes a sack. All of a sudden, three points that were going to be on the board at a minimum, that takes it from a 12 to a 15-point lead, now becomes a punt situation. You don't get those points on the board. The Chiefs get the ball. They go down to score to start the second half very next series for the browns is a fumble by nick chubb now we're now we're done you know and, and those are those are situations bob in my opinion that you go oh, the browns are a fantastic football team but you know when are, when are they going to be enough to beat the chiefs because while they're great the question till the next time, if they play them again, is but are they going to be good enough? And then the, the second play for me that really stands out, because everyone points to the Baker Mayfield interception, I think it's the miss to Anthony Schwartz on third down. You know, they get into a third and seven situation. They get Schwartz down the left sideline. It's a great read by Baker Mayfield, who was the most accurate quarterback in the NFL yesterday until that one throw. And uh, I, I think just you're, they're going to look back and go, uh, we, we should have handled that end of the first half better. Man, Chubb, you don't fumble. That's so uncharacteristic of you. And, and Baker, if there's a throw that we need you to make accuracy-wise, which is your strength, you have to make that. So you take a lot of great from it, but all, you also, if you're just being realistic as a coach, I'm sitting there watching that tape in your meeting room going, we, we got to figure out a way to get those two or three things made rather than out of our system.
5: Yeah, Dan, and you mentioned the penalties, right, or, or the penalty. And one thing we always talk about is not all penalties are the same, right? Sometimes it's the timing of a penalty, where it is in a drive, where it yeah. is in a game situation. And we look at that penalty and that particular timing, it really was a problem. And again, it was more the timing. The Nick Chubb thing, just it blew me away because it was so uncharacteristic for him but again you go back to big picture you look at teams and teams that are successful and teams that are going to win this is part of the growth or the maturation process What the Browns need to do is they're a very good team, very talented team. They get themselves on the threshold, but they're clearly not mature Mm. enough yet as a team. And that's not, I'm not saying they're just not there yet. They're going to be there, but they're just not mature enough in terms of finishing a game. They had had the Chiefs on the ropes, but they just couldn't close the deal. Scott, here's my
3: question though then for you. So you're sitting on the bus as the GM after that game's over and you're looking at the team you've put together. Are you sitting there saying that? Hey, look at that offensive line I put together. We own the line of scrimmage. For 80% of that game, we dominated the line of scrimmage. I have built a team that's going to get there. We're going to be good enough. We just need maturity? Or after a loss like that, are you sitting there as a personnel guy going... Man, we might be missing something. Like, what What can I add? What do I go out to look for to try and make this team a little different?
5: My personality, unfortunately, works a little bit in the opposite, where <laughs> I'm taking the sting first. I'm like, gosh, we lost that opportunity. We blew it. We were right there. We had them. And then I start looking for the silver linings, right? I go back. I have to feel the pain, and I think most football people are, are a bit – Um, self-abusive like that, where they take the pain first and then they try to figure things out. But again, you know, if I was sitting on that bus, I would have gone to that place where, okay, we had them on the ropes, we had a chance, now what do we need to do better? And, and, you know, Bob, you you mentioned um, the other thing that I really loved about what the Browns did yesterday. and, And, Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, as I went back and watched it again this morning, I was watching... What I thought initially from my first Mm -hmm. view was that they did dominate them up front, meaning the, the, the Browns' offensive line. But what I really saw was incredible game planning and play calling that really helped the offensive line protect themselves better. What they did a fantastic... I think sometimes Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield's athleticism is underrated. And he did a lot of things on boots, outside the pocket. What I saw yesterday also was a quarterback who has actually really improved his play-action fakes and carried things out. So I felt like that they more had the Chiefs' defensive front off balance, which allows blockers to be more physically dominant. So again, to me, I thought it was a combination of the players, as you mentioned, Bob, and them being, uh, being able to be physical, but also the, uh, the, their ability in terms of play calling and, and design.
4: Yeah, Scott, I think there's two things that stand out with Kevin Stefanski and the Browns offense. First of all, their ability to everyone kind of thinks that they are just a strict outside zone game when it comes to their run game. They're diverse, man. They have certainly the outside zone, which is that stretch towards the sideline. Think San Francisco. Think, you know, quarterback straining to get the ball to the tailback as he runs towards the sideline. But then they also do an outstanding job with their counter game. You saw Chubbs run where I could have scored on it. That's counter (laughs) versus man coverage. There's a little bit of the toss game in there. There's certainly some of the gap scheme. So while they are the foundationally that outside zone type of stretch offense built play action pass, their run game is so diverse in the angles and the leverage that they create with their offensive line because of that diversity. And then I, the, for for me their pass game the my favorite aspect of their pass game. And it's funny to me that sometimes coaches don't catch on to it maybe enough defensively. What they do is they want to get into run people, meaning the the personnel on the field and run for and throw the ball that's what they want to do and in a way they're dictating to you I'm going to show you this I know how you're going to respond with your people and then your alignment and that's how they create some of their favorable matchups and I just love that Stefanski kind of has that inverted thinking when it comes to their passing game
3: another guy that was to me fascinating coming into this season guys switching gears Jameis Winston right we wondered if this could be a recreated career by sean payton from turnover machine to franchise quarterback day one right a handful of touchdown passes and that might have been the most impressive performance by any single team in week one so what switch flipped why was Jameis winston so different
5: well, I, I think the first thing I saw is that it's clear that Sean Payton has gotten to him right now. You know, it was interesting. We saw I saw quotes this morning in Peter King's article where the first question he said, what was your favorite throw of the day yeah. or what yeah. throw are you most proud of? And with five touchdown passes, we heard a different version of Jameis Winston because he talked about the one that he threw away. And to me, I was like, you know, it was like, oh. <laughs> you know, the light no went doubt. off and it's like Jameis you get it that's awesome and to me that was I'm seeing that I'm hearing that you see what he did yesterday now again you know this is something that I feel strongly about you know with Jameis Winston we've talked you know offline here the three of us and I really believe Jameis is going to be successful and he's going to have success to me the key with Jameis is going to be how does he handle success once he has it because past patterns have being behavior has been this you know again lack of I want to call a lack of maturity professional maturity when he has success he falls back into old bad habits but I think right now you know last year he maybe sensed his football mortality in terms of being benched being on the street not just not knowing how things were going to be. That's a great point. And um, maybe he's willing to listen right now. And if he does, he's got one of the best coaches and teachers around. And if he just follows Sean, he'll be much better.
4: Yeah, Scott, there was three plays that really stood out to me. In, in my notes, the very first line with in relation to Jameis is growth what do I do with the football on this play? You know, and there's three, and everyone was talking, as I watched the game yesterday, I was getting text messages from people and they're like, man, Jameis is great. And my initial thought was he's thrown for 90 yards, guys. You know, (laughs) let's everyone (laughs) relax. And then I went, rewatched the tape, hence the name of the podcast. And the three plays that stood out to me were, one, there was a second and five in the second quarter. He drops back to pass and you can see him go one, two, not there, and he takes off and runs. Well, that wasn't the glamorous highlight touchdown pass that we we see, but that's a big play because that's not the Jameis that we saw in the past. Third and eight. There's another one in the second quarter where he's got to move outside the pocket. He scrambles to his right. And I remember so many times watching that moment for Jameis Winston and thinking, well, here he goes. He's going to try to fit this ball into a two foot window in between four defenders and it's going to get tipped up for an interception. Instead, he runs. And it gets a first down. There's another ball. He goes play action pass. He gets to his fourth check down or fourth progression, which is a check down. It's a boring play. But in my mind, I'm going, man, this is a different type of player. And so those are my three kind of growth moment plays. My favorite play of the day, though, is the bomb to to Harris for the touchdown. And the reason it's my favorite play, because the score was 31 to three in the fourth quarter. The game is absolutely over. The only way that Jameis is making that read and that throw is if he has Trained his mind to just play after play after play, not allow the game situation to dictate what he's going to do, not allow the pressure of being the first round pick or how do you just I'm going to go operate play by play by play. And that is a very good place to see a quarterback get to. And I loved that kind of three play sequence and then watching him drop that absolute perfect throw on the touchdown pass when he didn't need to because the game was over and his stats were perfect.
5: Dan, you're absolutely right. And what he what has to happen now is, again, he has to embrace that success, understand why it happened, and stay the course and be a mature player. Because as you know, you know one of his blessings and one of his curses is yeah. his emotional capacity, that he gets excited. He's an energy guy. And what he has to do is just be excited, let that moment be there, but not get so excited that he starts being more emotional than thoughtful.
3: That's great stuff. That's Scott Pioli. You heard Dan Orlovsky. I'm Bob Weschusen. That's what's good about Jameis Winston. What's bad about the Packers? That is something that we are going to talk about coming up on Tape Eds. Also, the Steelers, I think schematically, did the most interesting thing of any singular unit on Sunday in week one in any game that I watch. We're going to get into both of those games when we come back. Stick around. This is Tape Eds.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022,
0: tika.com.
3: Back here on tape Tapeds, Bob shoes, Dan Orlovsky, Scott Pioli, and guys, we spent a lot of time. Segment number one, talking about Jameis Winston, what the Saints did. What did they do to the Packers? If you're a, this is obviously week one is built for overreaction, and this is a 13 win team from last season who had an MVP at quarterback. I would think wide angle lens. You've got some faith if you're a Packer fan that they're going to be okay. But what, when you crawl beneath the surface of what is an absolute blowout loss, did you see that would give me any faith, if I'm a Packer fan, that I shouldn't be overreacting?
4: Yeah, uh, the thing that I was concerned with with their offense was there was two things that made them really special last year, outside of having the MVP at quarterback. One was their use of motion. And I've talked about it all last year was the pre-snap motion, but also the at the snap motion where guys are running full speed kind of laterally and the ball gets snapped and the stress that it creates for defense when it comes to communication and mismatches. Not much of that yesterday. And then the second thing was their use of play action pass six times yesterday. They, they used the play action pass. So you're going against the football team. And I talked about it leading into the week. Bob was, You know, no one was really paying attention to the reality that they were starting three new people position wise on their offensive line. You know, Jenkins was going, who's a really good player out to left tackle to play for Bakhtiari and two rookies were going to play in their offensive line. How do they play? That's a hard ask. A second round and a fourth round pick to just, hey, we're going to go play against a very good defensive line in New Orleans. And one of the things that you can do to help offensive linemen, I don't care how old they are, is play action pass and the fact that it was such a staple of theirs last year and they did not use it much yesterday it really just made me scratch my head I just don't have a, a reasoning to figure out exactly why and the second disappointing part of it for me was there was no adjustment to when New Orleans decided to, to, to double team Devonte Adams they were doubling him in, in very situational moments down in the red zone and third downs well you, you again you expect that anticipate that who's the alternative option two or three or four. How do you help him get open against those double teams? And that was a little bit of the takeaway because I go back to last year, week one, they played the Minnesota Vikings. And I remember going on TV the next day going, that's the best Aaron Rodgers I've seen in five years. And he was flawless. And then watching him yesterday, turn the ball over in the red zone in a panic moment against the pressure. I go that, that doesn't look like number 12. And then the ball that Marcus Williams intercepts, It's a great play by Williams. That ball is not even, it's not eight yards close to the receiver. So it's, it's a bad decision and throw either way. And it's week one, but it was just a very abnormal performance by the Packers coaching-wise and quarterback-wise.
5: Dan, you nailed it to me on the part about the offensive line. And that was the thing going into this week, going into the season. As we watched those three preseason games, not only do they have three new starters on the offensive line yesterday, but the configuration of those starters, if you go back and you watch three preseason games, they were playing guys all in different places. They kept reconfiguring the line. And as we know, an offensive line in that unit and protection is about communication, about knowing where you are, knowing who is next to you, and being able to play off of one another. I got the sense yesterday after watching it and and going into the game, I wondered to myself, okay, is everybody comfortable with where they are and who is next to them? And, you you know, the ask that they made for Jenkins at at left tackle, that's a huge ask. But then you, again, like you say, Dan, Two rookies and people just not being familiar. I almost got the sense watching that Dan, you, you mentioned where Rogers looked. Uh, you know, he was mm. clearly uncomfortable. And he looked uncomfortable. And that is yes. not normal, right? Usually when he throws and he doesn't set his feet, he, he kind of that it looks like he's doing that intentionally, which he does do that intentionally. But yesterday looked different. When he was moving his feet, he looked like someone that was concerned about what was going on around him. And then what that does guys, is that makes me think about the bigger picture too, right? Looking as a G, from a GM, you see the X's and O's, you see what's going on in the field, but then you wonder what is the mentality and the thought process behind that? We look at all of what's going on here in this offseason. The distractions. These distractions were real. I just got the sense of, an, of a team yesterday that just didn't look mm-hmm. like they had themselves prepared mentally and emotionally for a National Football League game.
3: Do you think you, you think those guys, when they're dealing with, and, and Scott, obviously you would probably have to deal with this in a multi-pronged way behind the scenes as a general manager with your coaches, with your players, with even the people in the business side of the building. Everybody is seeing the MVP, not there. And maybe wondering his commitment level. You think that bleeds now into how the team
5: performs? Dan can probably, I want to hear Dan's Dan's perspective on this, but I, what I'll say is it. I don't know if it makes the other people wonder, but if if Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to focus on it, maybe that was a problem, right? And, hmm. and do I think it creeps into other people's minds? I, I don't know. But to me, it's more about the principle, right? Like, where was his mind? And he does a great job with distractions. He's dealt with them before. But this was something different. And, and you can see even his responses to things have been different.
4: Yeah. You know, Scott, I said this going into this season throughout this offseason. The Packers were the one team in the NFC, really the NFL, that we believed were a legit contender that did everything but focus on football. You know, the, the, the Los Angeles Rams spent the whole offseason focusing on football and the Saints focused on football and the San Francisco 49ers focused. Even the Seahawks that had a little blip of an issue with Russell started offseason, washed it away, focused on football. The Packers weren't able to focus on football to the second day of training camp for. Of course, that is going to affect everybody. There's so many variables and tentacles that come off the is he is he coming back? Is he really going to play? What's he going to look like? As a head coach, do I have to start crafting an offense for a guy in his second year in Jordan Love that never dressed as a rookie? You know, so, yeah, there's going to be tremendous impact on it. Now, week one, they are who they are coaching-wise and talent-wise and quarterback-wise, so I'm not going to freak out. I will still say this. I want to see what the offense looks like offensive line-wise in the next four weeks. If that doesn't get fixed and Bakhtiari doesn't get back after the sixth week and looking really good, yeah, then this is going to be a very different team outcome-wise than it was past seasons.
5: Yeah, because the point with the the offensive line is they have to be able to to establish the running game. And one of the things that makes Aaron Rodgers better and every quarterback better is an established running game that allows you to work play-action pass. Well, if the plan didn't work for the Packers, there was to me
3: one schematic plan that a certain team brought to the field on Sunday in week one that I think was the most interesting thought process that probably went into maybe game planning for a game. And that was what the Steelers brought defensively to Buffalo. I watched the entire game back. I didn't count a blitz. Maybe maybe I missed one. I don't think they blitzed Josh Allen one time the entire game. Now, there were simulated pressures. There would be a safety coming and an end would drop off, but never more than four the entire game. I'm wondering, from your standpoint, guys, how surprised you were to see that how surprised you were that it was as effective as it was and is this is somehow now the key to defending Josh Allen Mm, in that offense
4: Um, not surprised to see it surprised to see the lack of adjustment by the Buffalo Bills the best way I'll say is this Bob the Steelers defense took on the philosophy of the Bills offense they really took a third down defense and ran it a bunch on first and second down. Because that's what the Bills do offensively. The Bills have taken third down offense and just started calling it on first and second down. And that's what they've had so much success with.
3: So they kind of beat them at their own game.
4: Yeah, exactly. It was fascinating to watch. I mean, there's so many clips. And if you go back and just really pay, there's so many clips where... First down and 10, the Steelers have two guys on the defensive line with their hands in the ground. Everybody else is walking around. Now, again, that's usually what we see on third downs. Oh, man, who who's the big defensive ends? Who do we have to block? Where's the pressure going to come? And then they would take those two guys that had their hand in the ground, they would drop them at the snap and bring four guys off of one side. And so it's a four-man rush, but you still have seven sets of eyes on Josh Allen. And it just, Scott, you know this, it made them play so left-handed And I love Brian Dable, the Bills offensive coordinator. I think he's brilliant. The fact that there wasn't an adjustment to me blew my mind. That was the most disappointing part of Sunday was because they experienced that last year a little bit and they made adjustments last year. And the fact that they didn't have a foundational plan that if the Steelers do this, this is what we go to blew my mind. But it was brilliant by Keith Butler and the Steelers how they philosophically went about attacking that offense.
5: All right, Pittsburgh is the home of and the inventor, Dick LeBeau, of the zone blitz, and we saw it in just a different form yesterday in that game again because they were dropping. They didn't know who was dropping and who was coming, and it, it, they and also from a personnel standpoint, they had personnel that could match up exactly yeah. like. They needed to for what they were going to do. And it's interesting because sometimes teams go into game into games with a game plan on offense and then the defense has to react. But clearly what happened yesterday was Pittsburgh said, "Okay, they're going to have a game plan, meaning Buffalo, and we're going to have a game plan, but we're going to force them to make them react to us. Yeah, and not everybody's got T.J.
3: Watt, and not everybody's got Cameron Hayward. It's a great point to make that if you're only going to spend an entire game rushing four, you better have at least a couple of the guys that are the four that are coming that can get there without needing the help, right, that can bend the edge, can beat someone, can get to the quarterback without having to bring numbers. It was just, I thought it was a brilliant game plan, the fact that it worked literally from the beginning of the game all the way down to the last possession. I thought was absolutely fascinating, and we have to take a quick timeout. When we come back though on tape Heads, something that I think is equally fascinating. We all wondered about the Eagles and their quarterback situation and should they have faith in the guy that they seem to have almost by default chosen. Maybe he's earned that faith. We're going to talk about that. And also the performances of Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert. Some quick hitters when we come back and we continue on Tapeheads.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing.
3: Back here on Tapeheads, Bob Walshusan with Dan Orlovsky and Scott Pioli. All right, guys, we have gone through, I think, some of the marquee games, but I think lurking beneath the surface, storyline-wise, in the NFL, are some maybe unexpected performances. And I want to jump to the Eagles because it seemed like we spent the whole offseason wondering, A, if they were going to stick with Jalen Hurts as their quarterback, and And B, if they weren't, it was almost like they were sending some signals out there through the rumor mill. Maybe they would bring in another free agent, make a trade, maybe Deshaun Watson. And almost as if they themselves were trying to avoid Jalen Hurts being the starter on day one. I think he cemented himself, right? He he shocked me. I couldn't believe how well they played. What about you?
4: I would say the two things that stood out to me when it comes to Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts are one, They built everything around their offensive line. And the reality for Philadelphia is if their offensive line stays healthy, they're going to be an issue to deal with because their quarterback's athletic and they got some up-and-coming skill position people. And the second thing, but this was the nicest part for me when I watched the game, was how much they utilized Jalen Hurts' legs as an asset to their offense. And it was a question mark for me because – you know Shane Station their offensive coordinator has never utilized quarterback run in the in the way that they did yesterday Nick Sirianni, their head coach never utilized quarterback run and it's not something that you could just copy and paste from one offense to another and go hey let's just let's just use this cuz we've got a guy who could do it and so the fact that they said we still have a strength in our offensive line and we've got this quarterback that's really diligent with the way he goes about his process and very good with his decision making but we can utilize him to play 11 on eleven football in a consistent way I counted thirteen times that they had and I you know this is getting super deep where we have a zone read plus an RPO on the same play. You know, Bob, you've, you've heard me talk about this because we do college football together. Yeah.
3: That's college stuff. Yeah, that's exactly. college football and right there. They're
4: multi-leveled RPOs where you could tell a quarterback, and Jalen's intelligent enough to know this, hey, we are going to build in a zone read. That's So the first part of the play is a zone read. We're, we're going to take our numbers advantage-wise in our offensive line, and I want you to read this defensive end. Now, if the defensive end squeezes, and now it becomes an RPO where it's really a... Our RPO, you can go now as a runner, as a quarterback, but if then the second or third levels of the defense come to you, we can kick a blocked bubble out laterally and it's still a legal play. So 13 times where you just had these, and and candidly, It's really impossible to stop if you got a quarterback that's good at the decision-making aspect in a run game. And so I was just very impressed that they had that so well executed early on in the season Philadelphia offensively.
5: Yeah, Dan, you bring up a great point about the offensive line and those kind of plays that they're running, because one of the big issues I saw yesterday and I saw during the preseason is linemen being downfield on these RPOs. And it, I mean, there's some games yesterday I won't get into now where they didn't call it multiple it. times. Uh, come but, on. No, but, let's but, get some officials. <laughs> when, throw them under the bus. But when, you watch the, when you watched Philadelphia, they really did a tremendous job. And I give a lot of credit, not only to Nick Sirianni and the offensive coordinator, but to Jeff Stoutland, who's the offensive line coach, who's one the best in the business and you talk about the offensive line there was a play yesterday and I'm sure we've all seen it by now is the screen near the end of the game where Jordan Mailata pulls and kicks out on the screen pass For Rager, where Rager yeah. scores the touchdown and the safety comes up and gets obliterated and Again, you're talking about a guy that they developed within that organization. He got there four years ago. And on Saturday, interestingly enough, they just gave him a four-year extension worth $16 million a year. Jordan Mylata out of the International Player Pathway Program. And here's a guy that they've developed that they wanted to put in their system. Dan, I, I, I think you're right. I'm not sure they knew exactly what they were going to do, but this is what I know about Nick Sirianni. I worked with him for four years in Kansas City. He's really smart. He knows how important personnel is, and he's going to adapt things to – and again, he knows he's smart enough that he's going to do what his players can do and not put them in a situation that compromises their ability. Now, a lot of coaches say that they're going to do that, but a lot, of, not all of them do that, Dan.
4: Yeah, and I think it's really – and it, it wasn't just Jalen Hurts that they did that with. It's a great point by you, Scott, because I'm re- rethinking in my mind all the different ways that they helped – Devontae Smith you know his touchdown is, is a stacked okay short motion rub release hey for a guy that's maybe a little slight in frame don't don't yeah don't talk to me about hey he's going to struggle with press I'll, I'll take care of the press as a coach I just need you to be subtle enough to go win you know um, Jalen Rager w- what's his strength I got to figure out ways to get the ball in his hands maybe he's not going to be able to line up as a number one wideout and wear someone out with his route running ability but I'll just kick him out the screen on the perimeter and then he becomes a punt runner or punt ret- Excuse me, in return. Dan,
5: I love that point because this is, as a personnel guy, you're sitting there, you have a, a talent like Devontae Smith, and people are going to say, oh, he's too small. He's never going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage, press, big guys in the NFL. Well, smart coaches find ways to get those players open mm-hmm. off the line of scrimmage. Like you said, They formation from a formation standpoint, they did something that was going to allow him, as you said, they stacked them, they ran a rub, and that's what good coaches do. And they make yes. sure that they set players up for success based on the skills that they have.
3: You know, everything you guys are talking about reminds me of a quick story. I did a college game. I can't even remember how long ago it was. Joe Tiller, though, was the coach at Purdue, the late Joe Tiller. So it tells you this is a while back. And he recounted a story and it kind of goes into, I guess, the the conversation you guys are having about the college football DNA that now shows up in the NFL. And he said they were at a camp and all the coaches at the end of the camp, they all get together and, you know, they go out for a beer or whatever. And they, you know, kind of like just talk football after the campers have all gone home. And he said, we're sitting around at the bar and somebody throws out to the group If you guys could come up with the perfect offense, just fundamentally, what would it be? And one of the guys that was there said, you know, I've always thought if you could find a way to marry the option with the quick passing game, I I don't know how you would ever defend that. And, of course, a lot of the NFL guys that think you got to have, like, the six-foot-four quarterback and the pocket and the 230-pound running back, and they're coming. I mean, this is back in the days of, you know, Earl Campbell and Franco Harris— There was no way that that was ever going to be in the NFL. But now, what is in the NFL? Like, that that offense basically became the whole RPO world of college football. Now we see it in the NFL. And the punchline of the story is the guy... That came up with that concept of this. I want to marry the quick passing game with the option. I don't know how you would ever defend that. It was Jack Elway, John Elway's dad. And think about all the tools that John Elway, probably if he was playing today, could incorporate into that kind of conceptual offense in spite of the fact that he still played the era where, Scott, you were still just drafting the prototypical quarterback to stand in the pocket and throw the ball around like a prototypical quarterback would. John L. was an amazing athlete. He would have been able to run around just like all these other guys are running around today.
5: Guys, I, I, when I was a graduate assistant coach in 1988 and 1989 up at Syracuse University, it was the year after Donnie McPherson had played quarterback and the the Syracuse Orangemen went, eleven oh and one the tie in the in the sugar bowl to Auburn and we ran what was called the freeze option and the freeze option was very similar to this and there was a passing game that was built specifically off of it and the play was actually called there was we had an 0809, which was our option. Then we had run pass 0809, which is what made Rob Moore, the now the the wide receivers coach for the Tennessee Titans, a star in college because it was it, it, essentially it was an option play where the fullback ran the midline, faked the handoff, give the handoff, work down the line of scrimmage, but then move down the line of scrimmage, pull back off the line of scrimmage. And get the ball downfield. And there was a lot of short passes off of that where the ball would be popped right down the line of scrimmage. And I remember thinking what a great quarterback Don McPherson was and thinking that he was going to have a chance, but the league just wasn't ready for that kind of ball.
3: Yes, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, just thinking about all of the college stuff that's finally found its way to the NFL and thinking about those guys from the eighties that if they were playing today, it's just a totally different league. One of those guys that really fits the mold. And fellas, we only have about a minute or so left. So I'm really looking for just a quick thought on Kyler Murray. This is not a guy that would have played quarterback in the eighties. And now here he is, you know, thirty years later, playing quarterback at an extremely high level. Give me a thought on how good you found him to be in week one. How good you think that offense could be.
4: I thought he's fantastic yesterday and it wasn't just about the splash plays. We saw some of the splash plays, the highlights where he's running around and and making guys look Uh, candidly stupid on defense because of his athleticism. Uh, There's a couple of plays where he just plays really fast and sudden, puts his foot in the ground and drives the ball where he's supposed to. The the hot route to DeAndre Hopkins on his second touchdown is fantastic. The third down ball to Christian Kirk, which becomes a pylon against cover zero is out on time with enough air to allow Kirk to adjust to it. There's another hot route to hop on a stop route. I just thought while there was the splash plays, Kyler putting his foot in the ground and driving the football rather than fading away was a difference that I liked seeing this weekend.
5: And Dan, the personnel guy in me is going to talk about one of the things I noticed in him was a little bit more confidence and comfort. And to me, that had to do with some of their personnel. The acquisition this offseason of Rodney Hudson at center made the inside of that pocket look like, Kyler felt there was going to be depth to the pocket So he could do things like stick his foot in And make throws And again, granted, he did a a lot of things Outside of the pocket But just seeing his comfort and his confidence I think has a lot to do with having a center Who's a former pro bowler And one of the smartest centers in the National Football League Guys,
3: that is great stuff. That's Scott Pioli and Dan Orlovsky. I'm Bob Washuza. That is episode one of Tape We're back on Thursday, though. Episode two will drop. We'll be talking about all the big-time rookie performances from week one. QBs that switch jerseys in the offseason and at their new destination seem to be writing brand new scripts. We'll get you ready for week two every Tuesday, every Thursday. Subscribe, rate, comment, wherever you get your podcasts
2: There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander.
0: You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. taxes and fees not included offer valid through 41424 while supplies last online only must purchase a straight talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify limit of five phones per customer family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan not combinable with auto pay discount
1: you can rent a car a house even that little black party dress so why not rent the stuff you need for your home too the place to do it is errands Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands.
0: Approval not Guarantee. Restrictions apply. See store for
3: details.